been marching through the book of Ecclesiastes, bouncing around a little bit. And we're going to continue in that series, Meaningless, Meaningless, this morning. We'll look at verses 1 through 3, and then we'll jump to chapter 9 and look at verses 11 through 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, hear now the words of the Lord. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Jump over to chapter 9. Look at verses 11 through 12. Solomon wrote it this way. Again, I saw the, under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time. When it suddenly falls upon them. Those are the very words of God. Amen? Amen. Uh, In the last several years, uh, the last number of years, our country has seen some tragedy, right? Uh, From 9-11 to school shootings, um, we have seen tragedy. Even uh, Hurricane Katrina, we've, we've seen some tragedy in our country. Um, most recently, it was the Boston Bombers. Uh, we've seen tragedy. We know that these tragedies will affect not only individuals, but whole families, right? The pain that these tragedies cause. But what's interesting to me is if you've ever, and I know you have, because most of these tragedies have been on major news networks, If you've ever seen eyewitness testimony, it's different, right? Eyewitness testimony is a lot different than secondhand information. So you see these interviews, you see these testimonials, and people are giving testimony. They're bearing witness to what they saw with their own eyes. And you can tell. They've witnessed chaos. How can you tell this? It's in their hand motions as they're describing what they saw. It's it's in their tone as they're describing what they saw. It's in their facial expressions as they're describing what they saw. The chaos and the pain. There's nothing like eyewitness testimony. I was home... um, a couple weeks ago, and had some family stuff going on that I had to run home for just to be with my family. And uh, the night that I was leaving, I'm, I was at my mom's house in the living room. And I'm standing in the living room gathering the rest of my things. And my sister, one of my sisters, is outside. Um, and when I'm at home, usually everybody will congregate at my mom's house and hang out 
uh, a little bit later than usual and, until I leave. So I've got a sister outside. Uh, I've got three nieces outside. And I, my brother's girlfriend is outside with the kids as well. And I'm in the living room. And as I'm packing my bag, all of a sudden I hear these loud bangs. And it's distinct gunshots ringing out. Sounds like it's extremely close. So I hit the ground. I hit the floor. And I bear crawl to the door because I hear my sister screaming. And I open the door. And my sister holding two of my nieces is pushing her way into the door along with my sister and my, my brother's girlfriend, another one of his nieces. They get in the house. Things calm down a little bit. The noises, the bangs stop. And I begin to ask my sister what happened. She saw with her own eyes every single detail. And what she saw was two guys walk in front of a house in the middle of the street at 9.30 at night, four houses away from where my mom lives, and unload weapons on this house. But the way I'm describing it is different than the way my sister described what happened. Why? Because she saw with her own eyes. She was an eyewitness and I could hear the, the fear in her voice. I could see it on her face. I could see it in her hand motions. I could see it on her because she was an eyewitness to what had happened. And this morning when we come to this text, what we see and what we hear from Solomon is eyewitness testimony, get this, of chaos. We get to see a man who is burdened by chaos. And if you read this passage, as I've been soaking in this passage, it's as if I could see his hand motions and it's as if I could hear the tone in his voice by the language that he uses. It's as if I could see his facial expressions. This brother has seen some evil. He's seen some oppression. He's seen some poverty. And it's affected him in a huge way. This morning I want to speak from the subject... Meaning, poverty, and oppression. But before we jump in, let's pray. Lord God, help us this morning. Help us, Lord, to hear from you. I pray that you would open our eyes to see you, Jesus. That you would open our ears to hear you, Jesus. Father, we can study all we want, as we heard last week. We can gain all the, the book knowledge that we want, and that stuff is good. But Father, I pray that your Spirit would be with us. I pray that your Spirit would be apparent to us, changing us, teaching us, convicting us. Thank you that your Spirit is the person who seals us, Lord. 
And I pray that we would experience the richness of the sealing of the Holy Ghost this morning. Help us, Lord. Pray that you would allow me to decrease, that you may increase in me. Lord, would you have your way this morning? Move me out of the way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we've been marching, marching through Ecclesiastes, and last week um, Richard did a great job at answering the question, can education save us? And he pointed to the reality that many of us pursue Uh, wisdom and knowledge to find our hope and to find uh, our dreams in our wisdom and in our knowledge. But what we'll find is that it's meaningless and it's empty. And not just book knowledge, but we even look to knowledge on the streets to get ahead at times. And what we'll find is that it's, it's meaningless and it's empty. This week we'll look at something a bit different, but remember what we've said about Ecclesiastes. Uh, This is wisdom literature. And the major theme in Ecclesiastes is that life without God or life under the sun is vanity, meaningless. Over and over again we get this repetition. Meaningless, meaningless. Vanity, vanity, Solomon says over and over again. So whether it is knowledge or education, whether it is pleasure, whether it is work, it's all meaningless without God. Apart from Him, our relationships, apart from Him, our work, apart from Him, money, all of it, apart from God, is meaningless. There's also a great deal of questions asked in Ecclesiastes. The idea is Solomon wants us to become get this, the right kind of people by asking the right kinds of questions. He wants us to become the right kinds of people by asking the right kinds of questions. In our passage, Solomon begins to reflect on evil and oppression under the sun. He's he's outdone by the evil that he sees with his own eyes. He's in a wreck Because of the evil that he sees. And one of the things I think Solomon wants us to see is how how poverty is causes us to be powerless. In poverty, we are powerless. We feel powerless and we become powerless in poverty. Look at verse one. Solomon says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. Behold, the tears of the oppressed, they had no one to comfort them. Listen to this. On the side of their oppressors, there was power. See, Solomon makes this incredible distinction. He's making a distinction between the haves and the have-nots. He's making it clear. And in our day and age, we can understand a distinction between the haves and the have-nots. He says... The oppressors, they have power on their side. And the ones being oppressed, they have no power. They're powerless. See, the idea of power there is strength. It's ability. It is property. It's substance. It's wealth. It's riches. It's possessions. It's means. Solomon says, 
On one end, there's power. There's property. There's substance. There are means. There's wealth. And on the other end, there's not. Solomon says, one is being oppressed. If they're being oppressed, they don't have wealth. uh, They don't have means. They don't have riches. They don't have possessions or property. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you know what Solomon is talking about when he's talking about the ones who are oppressed. You know what it's like not to be able to get your kids the nice things that you want to be able to get them. You know what it's like to have more bills in the month than money in the month. Uh, You know what it's like not to have the right kind of job to be able to provide for your own family. You know what it's like. Some of you have experienced those kinds of things. You want to see oppression? That's what Solomon is talking about. Some of you know what that's like. I'm sure there's a better picture, um, but one of the, 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 the best pictures I think of is the justice system. And many times I've sat with friends in courtrooms and I've been witness to the justice system. It's oppression. It's oppression. And the reality is, if you have the means, if you have the wealth, Even if you've made bad choices, you can get out of it if you have the means. But if you don't have the means and say you walk into the courtroom with the public defender, you're in trouble. You'll experience some of this oppression he's talking about. You want to see oppression? You go to some of the neighborhoods in our city. Go to some of the neighborhoods and uh, go to your local check cash in place. Your local payday loan spot. Um, You'll see liquor stores. You'll see corner stores with gallons of milk that cost three times the regular price. You won't won't find healthy foods, but you know what you'll find? Uh, You'll you'll, you'll find a car lot charging a 15 to 20 percent interest rate. Oppression. Oppression. Those are some of the things that Solomon is talking about. Language barrier can be oppression. There are many things. Um, There are those who have made poor decisions in the past. And now those decisions are keep, they keep following them everywhere they go. Even if they're trying to get their life on track. I like what the philosopher Nicholas Walterstorff says of the poor. Here's what he says. It is a simple fact that the lower classes are not only disproportionately vulnerable to injustice, but usually disproportionately actual victims of the injustice. Injustice is not equally distributed. The point is that it's much easier to oppress somebody who is poor than it is to oppress somebody who's got wealth. That's exactly why you see check cash in places and liquor stores and family dollars that price gouge the poor in inner city neighborhoods. 
This is some of the things that Solomon is talking about. Solomon is disgusted at the oppression that he sees. Secondly, sometimes there's oppression. Sometimes there's evil and poverty. And there is no solution for them. I want you to see how deep and serious the oppression is. Look at verse 2 and 3 with me. Solomon says, And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Solomon says, The things that I have witnessed, the sorrow that I've witnessed is so Bad, you, you would rather be dead than alive. Solomon says, the evil that I have witnessed, I'll take you a step farther. The evil and the darkness that I've witnessed, the, the poverty that I've witnessed, the injustice that I've witnessed, you would have rather not been born. It's so bad. It's so deep. Ever been there? Ever felt like you've been dealt a bad hand? Ever felt like your, your finances were such a mess that you would just rather die? You ever felt like maybe if I were not born, I could get this thing right? Ever been there? Ever felt like You were being oppressed because you just couldn't get ahead? Ever been there? Solomon says, there's some oppression, there's some darkness that I see. Solomon sees this stuff and he's outdone. Solomon in verse 1 says, get this, I saw the tears of the oppressed. Get this, they had no one to comfort them. He says, the oppressors had power on their side. Then he says again, he says, and there was no one to comfort them. There was no one to comfort them. Sometimes there's oppression, sometimes there will be pain, and there's nothing you can do about it. had a close friend of mine call me, and um, I'm friends with this husband and wife, and... um, my friend's wife called me because she knows that I'm good friends with her husband. And she said, she began to tell me about their marriage. She said, Chris, we need help. My husband is an alcoholic. I don't even know if you know this. He is addicted to cocaine. We have a six-month-old baby, and I don't know what to do. Oppression. Sorrow, evil. What, what, do you, what do you tell her? Sometimes there are things that happen that you can't do anything about, but endure. Had another friend call me. She's married, has a little baby. She called me. She began to tell me about how she almost died. She's got endometriosis. And the disease has went over all of her female organs. 
So much so that she had to have surgery to remove all of her organs. And not only that, now the endometriosis is affecting her bladder. She had to have another surgery. She's got chronic pain. She's been criticized by doctors in the emergency room who don't believe her. Pain. What do I say to her? Sometimes there's oppression that we can do nothing about. Ever experience somebody that's dealt with mental illness? The severity of what that can look like? Pain. Sometimes there's things that we can do nothing about. And I think that's what Solomon is pointing to. Solomon says there are people who are being oppressed and they have no one to comfort them. There is nothing we can do. There's nothing that can be said. What do you say to somebody whose marriage is a wreck, who loves their spouse and wants to stay and fight, but is alone? What do you say to somebody who's got chronic pain? Has a husband and a child to take care of? What do you say? There's nothing you can say. How about a single mom that's struggling? Really trying to make ends meet and thought this person would be with them for forever. And now they find themselves raising kids all alone. What do you say? What do you say? There's nothing you can say. The guy who has made bad choices. Yeah, he's made bad choices in his past, but he's trying to move past those bad choices. But his record is tainted. What do you say to that person? When he keeps getting turned down from job after job, he's got bills piling up, he's got Children and mouths to feed. What do you say to that person? Hold on, brother. Endure. How long will that last? And I think what Solomon is doing is he sees this stuff. He sees the evil. He sees the oppression even in his own place. And he sees these things and he's outdone. He says, the living would much rather be dead. You know what? I'll take you even a step further. Maybe I shouldn't even been born. Because it's so bad. There's oppression, there's evil, there's sorrow. And you know what? The tendency, when we face these things, the tendency when we don't have enough money... To pay the bills. The tendency is to question whether God even exists. God, are you there? Are you real, God? Because in my marriage, it doesn't seem like you are real, God. I'm trying to take care of these kids by myself, God. I'm not making ends meet. Are you real? Do you exist? 
our tendency. But he does exist. Solomon has some things to speak to that. See, sometimes there's no one to comfort them. Sometimes there's no one to comfort them. But sometimes we ought to comfort them. The church, believers, sometimes there is something that can be done. 19th century Scottish preacher was preaching on Acts 20, 35, which says, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Listen to his words. Now, dear Christians, some of you pray night and day to be branches of the true vine. You pray to be made all over in the image of Christ. If so, you must be like him in giving. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor. Objection number one. My money is my own. Answer, Christ might have said, my blood is my own. My life is my own. Then where should we have been? Objection number two. The the poor are undeserving. That's why I don't give. Answer, Christ might have said, they are wicked rebels. Shall I lay down my life for these? I will give to the good angels. But no, he left the 99 and came after the lost. He gave his blood for the undeserving. Objection number three, the poor may abuse it. What if they abuse and take advantage of me? Answer, Christ might have said the same. Yea, with far greater truth. Christ knew that thousands would trample his blood under their feet. That most would despise it. That many would make it an excuse for sinning more. Yet he gave his own blood. Oh, my dear Christians, this pastor says, if you would be like Christ, give much, give often, give freely to the vile and poor, the thankless and the undeserving. Christ is glorious and happy, and so you will be. It is not your money I want, but your happiness. Remember his own words, it is more blessed to give than receive. See, one of the marks of a believer is that they realized how they realized how grace has been lavished upon them and so they do this they give it away they understand that that they were wicked and destitute in their own sin and Jesus came and he sacrificed his own blood for, on their behalf in their place for their sin and because they understand that they do this They open their hands and they give. Sometimes there is nothing you can say. But sometimes there's something you can do. Lastly, I love this. This is the beauty of it. We are unable to dictate our present. See, Solomon Solomon chose how upset he is by the evil that he sees. He shows us his frustration by the oppression and the poverty and how the the oppressors are oppressing the ones who are being oppressed, the poor. He shows his frustration. But he doesn't leave it there. Look at chapter 9, verse 11 through 12 with me. It says this, Again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, 
nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly fall upon them. Here's the good part. Doesn't matter how fast you are. Doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how wise or intellectual you are. Get this. It doesn't matter how poor you are. You cannot dictate your own life. There is one who is in control. There is one who holds the reins on your behalf. You can't dictate your own life. The question is not what you have that determines who you are, but it's who you have. It's not what you have, but it's who you have. Let's look at Romans 9, 15 through 16 to better understand what's happening. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, God says. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. See, Solomon sees the inability of man and it leads him to frustration. But when Paul sees the inability of man, it leads him to grace. It leads him to the door of grace. Paul says, I am, I am unable. Because I am unable, my God is able. He's able to do that which I cannot do. Why? Because he's in control. He is the giver of of mercy. He is the giver of compassion. He's in control. See, Solomon is frustrated, but Paul is thankful. The good news is, even if you are living check to check, even if the money never adds up, even if you're doing it alone, even if your background won't get you the job that you so desire, even if you feel like you're at the bottom of the barrel and you can never get ahead, even if God is still in control. You better hear me this morning. He is still in control. And that's good news for us this morning. The good news is, If I don't have two nickels to rub together, God is in control. God holds the reins. I love babies. Um, And y'all laughing because y'all know that. That's all right. I love babies. Um, I was in St. Louis really quick last night. I had to speak at an event at my old school. And uh, I, I got to catch one of my friends uh, from high school real quick, and I saw his baby, little seven-month-old, and uh, I got to hold her a little bit. Uh, She's a chunky baby, just a big, chunky baby. Um, But what's crazy is that babies can do nothing for themselves. Nothing. I mean, they can't hold their heads up themselves. Um, They can't sit up on their own. 
uh, when they're when they're infants, when they're small like that, they can do nothing but just lay there. You know what I'm saying? And, and parents, y'all just create stuff that that's cute. The baby's just laying there. Oh, that's so cute. No, it's not. They're drooling on themselves. Like they're, they're not even doing anything. Uh, but it's so cute, right? And then let me. This is a tangent, but some folks got some ugly babies. Y'all know y'all have seen some ugly babies before. I'll be the one that says it. There's some ugly babies out there. But then they grow like, you know, they mature and they become the beautiful swan, you know. Um, I had to clean it up. I ain't never seen no ugly babies in this church. We ain't got no ugly babies. Um, but babies do nothing for themselves. They can't sit up on their own. They can't hold their heads up on their own. Get this. Mom or dad is in control. Daddy holds that baby. Daddy is in control. Mom holds that baby. Mom is in control of all of the movements on that child. Mom is in control. And that's one of the things we see here. Doesn't matter how strong you are, time and chance happens to them all. And you know what Solomon is saying? He's saying death is the great equalizer. He's saying that one day you will meet your creator. One day you will have to die. And we all will. He says this over and over again. In this repetition, he's making a point. Same time. Happens to them all. And you know why he exalts time? Is because none of us are in control of time. Only God is. And he wants us to be sure that we understand that. That God is the one in control of time. What you have doesn't make you. Who you have makes you. Will you put your faith in the one who has control this morning? No matter your circumstance. See, Jesus doesn't promise that you will never be broke again. Jesus does not promise that you'll never come up to a month where you won't be able to make ends meet. He doesn't promise that you'll get a brand new car or a brand new house, but hear what he promised. I will give you joy and peace that surpasses understanding. He promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you. See, I would dare to say that not only are there some that are financially bankrupt and poor and impoverished, but there's many in here right now this morning that are spiritually poor and bankrupt. You have not chosen to serve the one true God. You've chosen to serve yourself. And here's an opportunity this morning to say, God, I understand that I cannot do this thing on my own. And I realize that you have done for me what I could never do for myself in Jesus Christ. 
And though, God, I am poor spiritually, You've provided a way. You have provided a way. Would you trust Jesus this morning? Would you trust Jesus that He died on your behalf, that He shed His blood for you, that He died and He was buried and that He rose again for you, that you may know Him deeply? Would you trust Him? Would you believe Him this morning? Because He is in control. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you're in control and we're not. Thank you, Lord, that even though there is evil, there is suffering, even though there is poverty in this city, thank you, Lord, that you have not left us, but that you're with us, that you're near us. And I pray this morning that for the spiritually poor in this room, that we would come to know You as the one true Savior. Father, help us to grasp Your truths. Father, help us to submit to Your will and Your way for our lives above our own. Thank You, Jesus, that You're with us, that You care for us, that You love us. Now, Father, I pray that You would bless these offerings that we're about to receive. And I pray, Father, that You would multiply them, that You would use them to build Your kingdom and Your fame in this church and in this city. In Jesus' name.